The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Now, time to check on all the stories that went viral during the past five days. And there's been no shortage of them, so go through them. I'm joined in studio by Lorcan Nye, Head of Training at the Communications Clinic. And on the phone, Ro McDermott, Irish Times columnist, is with us as well. Hello, folks. Good to see you all again. Great, great to be here. Uh, Ro, we want to go to you first, because one of the big stories this week, and it came out earlier on this week, that Rebel Wilson, the very well-known Australian actress and comedian, she posted on Instagram that she had been searching for a Disney prince for some time, but it turned out, she said, what she really wanted was a Disney princess. Now, this was a lovely photo of a rebel and her partner. But the backstory to this was an Australian newspaper tried to out her. I thought media had stopped doing these stories 40 and 50 years ago. Yeah, this was such a bizarre story. And I actually reread it several times to make sure I had it right. Because what happened was there was an Australian newspaper called Sydney Morning Herald. And it uh, found out that Rebel Wilson was dating fashion designer Ramona Agruma. But Rebel Wilson has not been public about this relationship yet. Hasn't been public about the fact that she's dating a woman, as is absolutely her right. Um, the gossip columnist Andrew Hornery decided to email Rebel Wilson's representative saying, we know Rebel Wilson is in a relationship with a woman. Uh, we have enough details about this. We have people who've confirmed the identity of this person. We're giving you two days to comment. Essentially threatening to out Rebel Wilson without her permission. Um, Rebel Wilson then took to her own Instagram, posted this lovely photo celebrating her relationship, but obviously under this pressure, which is horrific enough on its own that a newspaper in this day and age would threaten to out a public figure, threaten to out anybody, put in this horrible deadline. But then the gossip column was Andrew Hornery then posted a column complaining that Rebel Wilson had, in his words, gazumped his story and then complaining that, you know, she... Uh, he said something like, up until now, Wilson is identified as a heterosexual woman. It's unlikely she would have experienced any sort of discrimination, let alone homophobia. Um, and saying, saying, oh, our inquiries were discreet and genuine and honest completely disingenuously skipping over the fact that he was threatening to out someone. The fact that the gossip columnist himself is actually a publicly out gay man is also really upsetting because he was just so insensitive to these issues. This entire story got huge backlash from the public. The gossip columnist had to go back and issue a very mealy-mouthed, in my opinion, apology. The editor had to issue an apology. But it was just so terribly handled. And I think when we're looking at, you know, uh, Rebel Wilson is Australian, but spends a lot of time in America. The USA at the moment has so much homophobic and transphobic bills and legislation coming in. There's this huge cultural backlash against the LGBTQ community. It is Pride Month. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I think, Lorcan, the, I think what people were more annoyed about just simply was, as Rose said, the comments by the, the, by the Sydney Morning Herald. And they tried to double down on it then. The editor said, look, well, you know, these things, it, it was just awful. The other comments that, that they made were it was never intended to be a threat to reveal her sexuality. Which is which, exactly what they were going to do. Which is quite clearly what, what, what it was. You can give you two days to, 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 to comment on this and then we will run the story and then complain about the story being run. The usual excuse of they were simp- they simply asked the question and like, how can you blame somebody for just asking uh, a, 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 sim- a simple question and again the usual that they're they're very sorry that that 
that Rebel has found this hard and they mishandled steps in the approach. Not the entire approach by itself was wrong. So look, I do think that the initial reaction to these things is how is this still happening? And we know when I was reading and before today you would have seen that, you know, Will Young um, has come back into news because of it saying that the same thing would have happened to him. And again, she's 10 years gone. You, know, you think we are a bit past that, but obviously we are not. And there are, you know, stories consistently of, of magazines doing this. I suppose the only slight, I don't know if I'm looking for a ray of hope here, but at least there was a backlash. At least there was mealy mouth as it was. At least there was an apology. At least there was an attempt to pretend like this wasn't about sexuality. Well, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, would there have been an apology? Would there have been the ask for a comment? Or would there have been days and days of stories in the gossip uh, tabloids? So I'm looking for, for, for rays of hope, perhaps looking for too many of them. But at least there's a backlash. And at least there is a public outcry when these things happen. At least people realise, will you just let people their privacy and let people their yeah, personal well, lives. I, I, I'd struggle to think that even a UK tabloid these days would run a story like that. I mean, one would hope, but I think again, it's I'll have to be with Lorcan, like hope, like scrambling for a bit of hope. Um, but I think there's so much backlash. Thankfully, there's cut the culture has changed. People don't stand for it anymore, and I think that papers often respond to what they think their audience will respond to. And I think that's what's so concerning about the Sydney Morning Herald is that they not only thought that their readership would be okay with them outing somebody, but then they published this opinion column going, "Oh God, wasn't that kind of rude of Rebel?" Wilson to good Zumbar story and they thought How that dare the you break our exclusive <laughs> that's so concerning oh dear no we'll move on from that story and let's move to something uh, a little bit more closer to home and this was a speech by President Michael T Higgins at the opening of a housing facility earlier on this week which of course got plenty of attention as about his comments on the housing crisis or disaster as he called it let us hear what President Michael T Higgins had to say first and I often ask myself you know How Republican is what we created? And isn't it sometimes very much closer to the poor law system that we thought we were departing from? And that's a real challenge. I I have taken as well to speaking ever more frankly in relation to housing because I think it is our great, great, great failure. It isn't a crisis anymore. It is a disaster. And I think that we have to really think about meeting the basic needs of people in a republic, be about food and shelter and education. We just really, when I think of people, I, I, I said that I knew John Craddock and I knew many more from the engineering faculty in Cook. They're people who built homes and building homes is what is important. It is not to be a star performer for the speculative sector internationally or anything else. That was President Michael D. Higgins. Lorcan, the reaction online to this, I think, was probably 99% in favour of what Michael D. Higgins said. Very hard to respond to a president. Incredibly hard to, to respond to, to a president. People have tried, but it is very, very difficult. Look, I think the reason the, the reaction was, was mainly positive, mainly positive is because most people realise he's absolutely right. It, it is a disaster. It's a disaster for a lot of people and has been a disaster a long, long time. And it's, it's a disaster across many, many different areas. One of the things that I look like when, when you see Michael D. Higgins making comments like this is he, he's incredibly popular and therefore incredibly powerful. He's, additionally powerful because he doesn't need to get re-elected. So he can say what he wants, he can say what he actually thinks. 
I would think that he should be going further in some ways and actually moving past saying he has the power to say unpopular things, not just the popular things. I'm not sure how much impact there's going to be in what was said there because everybody already agrees in what he said. Even the government has said, yeah, we mainly agree with that and we are trying. There are things that need to be said about housing that might not be popular because some of the solutions aren't popular. Some of the solutions to housing involve higher property taxes, perhaps of those who already have houses, building houses in areas that people do not want houses built in. So I would think that he should continue to speak, but maybe he might say things that are unpopular to some elements of the populace, but actually need to be changed. The other thing that is interesting, not negative, but interesting about this, in my view, is it has established a a precedent now. The president is now allowed to comment on on all things. I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I don't actually know what the constitution says on it. There was a feeling the president should not be speaking on politics without clearing through the government. Michael D. Higgins has changed that now. It doesn't matter what the president was. Leo Varadkar said, yeah, he's fine to comment. It'll be interesting now to see how that unfolds for a government, because when you're not talking about things people think are wildly popular, when you're maybe a less popular president, can the president now continue to speak? Because particularly internationally, the president of Ireland speaks, people will listen, and it changes internationally the view of the country. So that's a change in Irish politics that Michael Higgins has brought about. Ro, I can tell you privately, a lot of people were saying to me, you know, he just doesn't understand what's going on really in housing. And there's a lot of people just wouldn't put their public comments to that. Do you think for a generation out there that Michael D. Higgins making these interventions. People want to see more of it, as Lorcan said, comment on these things, but also it might actually prompt a reaction in government to do something about it. Absolutely. And I think, um, as Lurkin said, I think uh, Michael D now has the power to say unpopular things. He also has the power to say radical things, but also to move off the traditional talking points. Because even Varadkar was falling back on the on the talking point saying, you know, if you're paying very high rent, there are people who spend half their income on rent and that's devastating. There are people who aren't paying rent because they can't, because they're living at home in their 30s. There are single people who will never be able to get a mortgage. There are people whose mental health is crumbling because they have not lived as an adult independently on their own. There are people who cannot afford families, who have no savings, who will never have a pension, whose quality of life as an adult has been completely infantilised by our housing structure. He could come out and say that I think there were figures saying one in four uh, Fine Gael TDs are landlords and maybe that's impacting the way that uh, the government is approaching housing. They, he could talk about Sweden, who instituted uh, constitutional change and affected how housing is treated in the constitution. And within eight years, had gone from a situation that is very much like Ireland to a situation where housing is available for for everybody. Because if you institute it constitutionally, it obliges the state to prioritise people over profit. It obliges the state to redirect, redirect funding. It obliges the state to change our culture around the idea of investment. I think that's what happened to Ireland. We learned the phrases property I also think Michael D. Higgins is somebody who's very well aware of that, look, an intervention like this could actually be something that will move the government to policy because the last thing you want to do is to be at odds with somebody who's as highly popular as Michael D. Higgins, particularly with a younger generation. But let's go to another person who fancies herself as an elder statesperson, and that is the UK's Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss, who was speaking earlier on this week when the British government announced that it was going to practically rip up the Northern Ireland Protocol, and she was asking the head of our government, Micheál Martin, to perhaps exercise some restraint when it came to the Northern Ireland Protocol. Let's see how she pronounced the Taoiseach. So I would strongly encourage the Irish TSOC to, prov- to, to discuss this with the EU to get a change in the mandate and then we can go to the negotiating table. Lorcan, what's a TSOC? 
It's a it's a good image, isn't it? Uh, I, I think rarely do you get one kind of seven, eight second clip that not only sums up the current political relationship between two countries, but maybe seven or eight hundred years of the history between two countries where it's just that the foreign secretary just clearly just started into it and realised halfway through, I cannot pronounce this do word. Do you reckon they had it spelt out for her phonetically? Because this happens, you know this, and, and you know this from your day job as well. This happens. You do give somebody the hint as to how it's done. But she just not only mangled it, but the, the confidence as wish she tried to go into all of it. Yeah, she kind of started with confidence. I'd say maybe maybe told to her phonetically, maybe a quick scramble just beforehand, word in the ear. How do you pronounce that? It's T-Sock, it's T-Sock. Uh, and, then, and then there you go. So look, I do think it's, it is illustrative of, of the performance of the current UK government and their, their attitudes to, towards Ireland. Normally, I'm quite forgiven of these things. Normally, I don't think you should, you should mock people online, nor do I think that, you know, everybody should be expected to know everything about our country. And if it was a random punter on the street of Manchester, they shouldn't know how to pronounce it because we're not exactly brilliant I've been able to pronounce things in other languages but when you're the foreign secretary hear when, my you're French. Dealing, <laughs> when, when you're dealing with, 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 with your, your nearest neighbour when you're dealing with Northern Ireland you should be able to pronounce Tisha correctly um, so I do think it's, it's illustrative perhaps of an attitude uh, towards, towards us uh, by the current UK government Ro, I, and I have to say I was saying this to Lorcan there just during the outbreak Liz Truss is somebody who I think if you look online she's gone viral a couple of times for various speeches she's given over the years and she was let's remember a remainer but she's somebody who would have ambitions as well I think if you were to listen to Liz Truss's accent and voice over the last couple of years she's certainly gone down the Maggie Thatcher speak slow and deep <laughs> well I think this clip reminded me of um, <clears throat> excuse me the election in the States when nobody could pronounce Kamala Harris's name and that felt so offensive that this you know brilliant uh, woman of colour was coming into power and nobody knew how to pronounce her name um, and again as Lorcan said this could have I'm usually quite forgiving I think if people learn how to pronounce things from reading things and then get it wrong you should absolutely forgive them but again it's the foreign secretary but I think what's really interesting to me is that what this story is doing is perhaps slightly distracting from actually something quite important that Michael Martin said and you know it happens rarely let's give it to him but he said Bro, this, please. This, rep- this represents a new low point because the natural expectation of democratic countries like ourselves the UK and all across Europe is that we honour international agreements that we enter into and I think that's really important like he said this is a new low point between UK Irish relations Liz Truss then proved that she again has not done enough research to basically pronounce very basic political ideas and statutes in our um, in our culture and our language correctly and it's turned into a Twitter meme and I we, just hope it doesn't distract from the fact that that's actually really yeah, We have a text in, in here from slash. text in here from Ronan in Castlenock could she not just have said Irish Prime Minister if she didn't know how to say Tisha? Of course Irish Prime Minister would actually be wrong even though UK newsreaders are very fond of doing it. Let's move on a little bit I want to move on to something which was uh, let's be honest this was probably trending last year for most of the year and this is the Netflix breakout Korean show Squid Game which I think racked up the most viewers Netflix have had had for an original series. It's certainly up there with Tiger King, The Crown and a couple of others. But they are now announcing that Squid Game is to be made into a real-life game show, sort of. Lorcan, you look like a man that binged on Squid Game over the last year. I did not binge on Squid Game. I didn't have time before I came in here to watch the the entire thing, so I know absolutely nothing about Squid Game, (laughs) bar the fact that it was wildly popular for Netflix and that they're trying to make it second season, but the the first one took 12 years. So they're trying to take advantage of the reputation of the show. They're trying to take advantage of it by throwing it into and turning it into a real reality TV show where it's a... Without the killing, though, that was prominent throughout it. This is my thing. It's, It's without the killing... 
and if you take the killing out of it, my understanding would be it's just a game show like Total Wipeout or Takeshi's Castle or something like that. Like, I don't know how it becomes something that is, is new or is different or is worth a bargain. Slightly better than winning streak with four and a half million prize, uh, prize fund on it, but it doesn't quite have the original. Like, they're going to have a special set and there's going to be all sorts of sort of things that the, the show is known for. Slightly better than winning streak. I, will, will they have a little robot <laughs> flying around? Will, will there be any, any mention of gardens or anything? I don't know if it's better than winning streak. Is there a big wheel being turned? Ro, does this sound like desperation from Netflix to keep people hooked in? Hooked in Because we do know they're losing subscribers out there and they are probably struggling as well to come up with shows that are very, very popular. The likes of Squid Game, the likes of Tiger King. Absolutely. Like they latched onto the Squid Game. I actually read an interview with a Netflix producer who said that Midnight Mass, which is a really interesting horror drama from Mike Flanagan, they thought that Not was to be confused be- with something else here in Ireland? No, <laughs> they thought that was going to be the, the big show of the summer. And then everybody latched onto this good game. So, of course, it's trying to hold on to its subscribers and get new people in. But I just think there's something weirdly dystopian about the fact that this was a cautionary tale, dystopian satire about class inequality, about people who were desperate for money going into this hyper violent game. And now we are actually turning it into a game. I understand people won't be murdered, but it just kind of proves that there is no satire so biting and be taken literally that there are housing crises huge inflation people struggling financially there's a global pandemic and we're turning to dystopian hyper-violent television for our solutions as the dog surrendered in fire and that internet meme says yeah this is fine <laughs> this is all fine this is great <laughs> all right let's let's move on to something else something very popular and i must admit i'm not a eurovision fan i will admit that straight away but of course lots of lots of people are and it is a big thing obviously this year Ukraine won and everybody seemed to get on board with it but their practical realities of holding it in Ukraine next year was obviously going to be say look it can't really happen so today the European Broadcast Authority have come out and said Lorcan who's going to be holding it now? The UK are, are likely to be holding it I think The people they, who are no longer a member of Europe that The people be. who are no longer are the European Union but of course they're still members of the continent of Europe so they came second um, I think after their, their horrible horrible record they, they took it a little bit seriously they got a TikTok star who did all the PR and did the press circuit and, and he came second I think many people think he should have come first um, and so they, they will now be they'll be looking at holding it I'm actually I'm delighted uh, again I wouldn't be a Eurovision fan obviously it was a big part of I think most people in Ireland's childhood watching it and watching the commentary etc wouldn't be a fan now but so many people here in particular are massive massive fans of the Eurovision it's, it's incredibly it, popular it's so popular and it's 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 sincerely held popular for a lot of people that it's a big part of people's lives it's a big part of people's everyday year people want to be able to travel not everybody can always travel to it so I'm genuinely delighted for a lot of people that it's going to be in the UK that they can people can go over to it they can experience it because it is the World Cup for a lot of people it's the European Championships for a lot of people it, it is their thing it is a the thing they're passionate about that they have an encyclopedic knowledge about they could tell you who came 7th in 1972 and for those people I am absolutely thrilled that it's going to be in the UK now, they have said that they will make sure that when it's held, that it's obvious that Ukraine was supposed to be holding this and Ukraine will be central to it. So I imagine as part of this, the celebration, as part of the Halftime Act, etc., there will be a Ukrainian Ro, will you be will you be booking your flights next year to go over to Brexit land to find out? Where, could you see Boris Johnson maybe turning up at it? 
Oh, let's not. Let's hope not. I don't think I don't think there's a huge Venn diagram crossover between fans of Boris Johnson and fans of Eurovision, to be honest. Just culturally, that isn't my belief. But as Lorcan said, I think the most important thing is that even though it's held in the UK, that it hopefully has Ukrainian hosts, that it celebrates Ukrainian culture and music and really takes the opportunity to strengthen that link and support Ukraine culturally. Because I think cities like Edinburgh and Kiev have uh, been twinned to sister cities in the past, so that would be a nice way to like reassert that connection. Um, but but also even looking at budget wise it's like hosting the Eurovision uh, costs a huge amount of money and is often given grants but even looking at how that could be managed in a way that perhaps they spend less money on the ceremony and donate some of the funds yeah. to uh, Ukraine relief and Ukraine support which would obviously that's a great be idea. more important that's a, that's a much better idea Ro McDermott Lorcan 9 thank you very much for joining us The Last Word with Matt Cooper Today FM It all happens here